good question. What is your hope? Hope is important. See, if you have hope, you, you have something that is going to drive you through and past obstacles. If you have hope, you have a passion that is going to enable you to pursue a purpose that is worthy of your one and only life. If you have hope, you have desire. You have, you have this passion. You have the ability to pursue. Hope is a powerful thing. We have hopers in this room. We have a unique kind of person who has a very strong hope, and, and that is a mother. Mothers are people who have hope. How else could you explain someone who can go through nine months of pregnancy other than a person who has hope? The first nine months, they're sick, right? The next, I'm sorry, the first three months, they're sick. The next three months, everyone's wondering, is she getting fatter? Is she pregnant, Right? Then the last three months, you can barely sit in church because of the pain and the kicking and all that. And then there's the whole childbirth. And then there are the real heroes, women who have hope, who dare to go through all that and then allow another mother to raise their child. There are those mothers who never go through pregnancy or childbirth, but who have to wait longer than nine months to go through an arduous process where there has to be a home inspection, there has to be travel, there has to be the constant uncertainty as to whether or not this child is the one that God is going to provide, and they go through the heartache many times, and then when it finally happens, there's transition and pain, and how is it they're able to go through this? But hope. Hope allows you to get through those sleepless nights where you walk into the room having heard the call for that awful sound, knowing that something has come from their stomach, through their mouth, onto their blankets, onto their night-night outfit, onto the wall, if you will, and you clean it up wondering how you're going to get this off of them and how, how it is that he can sleep through it all, right? And there's that hope there that you won't kill him, but it's still hope. The hope that you get through all of that sleepless nights and then you get through rebellion teenage years. How? With hope. Then they go away and she brings this guy with in-laws or he brings this girl with in-laws. And how do you survive that hope? And then you have grandchildren and you have grandma's weekend. And how do you, how do you live through that with the hope that they're coming back and you send them away? But there's hope. And what we have in our midst are mothers who are amazing people because they have Hope. And that hope enables them to do things and to make sacrifices and to pursue and to overcome because they have this hope. And they affirm the words of Viktor Frankl. He uh, wrote a, an amazing book about the reality of humanity. He was a Holocaust survivor. And, and, and what he talks about in, in terms of having a why or having a hope, well, it, it, is, it is powerful. This comes from Man's Search for Meaning. It says, those who have a why to live, that is, a hope, a reason, can bear with almost any how. A mother has a why, a healthy child who loves the Lord. And, and, and therefore, she will, she will work through, live through, press through any how to make that happen because she has a hope. Now, there are those who would say, what your why is doesn't really matter so long as you have one. And that may be true in some circumstances, but that is not true as it pertains to your soul. The why of your soul is the hope of your soul. And what you rely on for hope is extremely important. It will determine the depth, 
and even the power and ultimately the purpose of your life. So defining what your hope is, is crucial. And as you do that, let me, let me, let me just say something and a, a few things that just to keep in mind. You see, you've got to choose. You've got to make a choice about what your hope is going to be. Make sure that your hope is capable of giving you salvation in any and every circumstance. Make sure your hope is not circumstantial. See, make sure that your hope is not health, that my children are healthy, that I am healthy. Because, see, if that is your hope, sooner or later you're going to lose hope. Make sure that your hope is not something that's created. Make sure it's something that lasts. You've got to make sure that your hope not only can give salvation in any circumstance, but hear me, you've got to make sure that your hope is eternal because, see, you are. So if your hope is a temporary thing, that means at some, ho- at some point your hope dies, but you won't. Yes, you'll die a physical death, but understand, from this moment on, you will never cease to exist you will always have cognitive awareness of the fact that you are alive, that you are a being. You have been made in the image of God, and you will never cease to exist. There will always be you. And so you're going to need a hope that will last as long as you will, and you're going to last for eternity from this moment on. And so if your hope is in a temporary thing, you're in trouble. You need a hope that will give you salvation no matter the circumstance. You need a hope that will last as long as you will, which is for eternity. And you need a hope that will bring glory to that which is truly worthy of glory and praise. And without this, you're in trouble. Because at some point, if your hope, if your hope fades, and it will if it's a temporary thing, if it's not eternal, if it won't bring salvation in any circumstance, and in that moment, when your hope dies, you die. So a life without an eternal living hope a life without a salvation that, that saves in any circumstance, a, a life that doesn't have a hope that brings glory to the one who is truly glorious, is not life at all. It's death. It's a living death. It's a death filled with pain and disappointment. It's a life of darkness because you, you can't see your way forward because you have no hope. It is hell. That's what hell is. It's darkness and pain and, and, and no respite and, and, and no looking forward and no looking back because all there is is suffering and, and no capacity to, to, to find any reason to go on living, yet you will. That's hell. And that is not God's will for you. That is not God's will for you. God's will for you is life. God's will for you is His love. God's will for you is that you can be saved in any circumstances. You can suffer or you can succeed. And through it all, you can say, my God, my rock, He is my Savior. He will provide. He will lead me. He will never leave me. He is my God. And He is eternal. He will always be. He will always be your God. And He is worthy of glory and honor and praise. He alone is. And if He is your hope, then your hope is sure. Now, in our text today... We see that it is God's will that that we have a hope that will save us. I want you to look for that today. And then also, we're going to see that there are are things that give a false hope. Things that we are to avoid. And, And I hope that you will see that today. 
If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to 1 John. If you didn't bring your Bible, that's okay. There's one in the pew right in front of you or under your seat. Feel free to take it and feel free to take it home. Uh, Also, if you have it on your phone, uh, if you have a Bible on your phone, use it. Just don't text. Just look at the text, all right? All right, let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. And uh, Lanny Fultz is going to read for us our scripture. Where's Lanny? There she is. Our text again is in 1 John chapter 2. Remember, this is the year of hope and living hope. We're discovering what hope is. And to do that, we're working our way verse by verse through 1 John. So today we're in 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17. Lanny, why don't you go ahead and read those for us? Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. This is the word of God. Thank you, Lainey. If you would, go ahead and be seated. I know sometimes it's hard to believe this because circumstances would say otherwise, but know that the Word of God teaches this, and so believe this. God always wants what is best for us. He always does. He always wants what is best for us. Now let me tell you what the Word of God says is best for us. Don't miss this. God's will is what is best for us every time, all day, every day. God's will is what is best for us. And I know for some of you that that kind of creates a problem because you're thinking, well, what is God's will? Isn't that complicated? Isn't that a big, big, isn't that a bit far-reaching? No, write it down. Know this. Be, be sure of this. God's will is real simple. It's not complicated at all. It, 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 it's really simple. E- even I understand it. I, I don't always comprehend it, but I apprehend it, and I hold to it, and I know it is true. See, we are made to love. God made us love. We have been made in the image of God. And here in our text, God graciously tells us what not to love. Now understand, we're going to love. Everybody in this room, we're going to love someone or something. And what we choose to love is very important. Because what we choose to love ultimately will determine our why. Will ultimately determine our hope. And what we hope in. And so we've got to know what it is we love, and we've got to make sure, we've got to make sure that it is something that will save, no matter the circumstances we're in, that it will last for all of eternity, and it will bring glory to the one who is truly worthy of glory. So God tells us here, do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, God is not saying, do not love the people of the world. We know that Scripture tells us, John 3.16, God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever shall believe in Him shall, shall inherit eternal life. We know that God loves the people of the world. So when it says here, do not love the world, what exactly is He talking about? Make sure you understand. He's saying here, do not love the system or that which is in opposition to God in the world. Do not love the things that stand opposed to God the things that lead to sin or are in and of themselves sin. Do not love those things because if you do, the love of the Father is not in him. The love of the Father is not in you. Friends, we have to choose. And God will allow us to choose if we're not careful to love the things of this world and miss the love of the Father. And in so missing his love, 
miss God's will and miss the hope that will save in any circumstance for all of eternity and bring glory to the one who is worthy of glory. We have to be mindful of our love appetite. There is a statement that mothers all over the world make. I've heard mothers make this statement in foreign countries even, and that statement is this. Do not ruin your dinner. How many of you have ever heard your mother say that, or as a mother you said that? It's a good thing to hear, because it's a reminder not to miss out on what is best. What is the mother doing when she makes that statement? She's saying, okay, I know that there are Doritos in the world. I know that there are M&Ms in the world. I know that there are all kinds of snack in the world. Do not let those things keep you from having what is best. And she says that partially because she's worked really hard to create what is best. And also she wants for the child to have what is best. We have to be careful. We have to discipline our appetites. I had to discipline myself yesterday. We went and had a meal in Nashville at Loveless Cafe. How many of you have ever been to Loveless Cafe? few of you, some of you, you need to go. Someone stopped me at the last service and said, thanks a lot. We're going to Nashville this afternoon. It is good food, but you have to be so careful because all of the food is really, really good. But they, they, they put a temptation in front of you. you got to know what to do with it. They bring out before the meal dozens of the best-tasting, God-honoring biscuits you've ever had in your life. These things are filled with butter, and then they bring out these jams, these preserves, and they have a peach preserve that is, even on Mother's Day, slap your mama's throat. I mean, good. And so I knew this. I was prepared for this. I knew this temptation would be there. But I had also made myself, I remind, you know, something else is coming, something better. Meatloaf, mashed potatoes, and fried okra. Is anybody getting hungry in here? And with it, sweet tea. Come on. So I knew that that was there, and I knew that that was best, and so I did not go crazy on the biscuits, and I was so glad I didn't. Because if not, if I, I had, I could have eaten a dozen of those. I could eat a dozen right now. Challenge me. I'll do it. I mean, I could, but I knew there was something more. There was something more nourishing. There was something better. And so you know what I did? Yeah, I had some biscuits, but you know what I did? I not only killed that meatloaf, and all the mashed potatoes, and every piece of that fried okra. But I also got somebody else's leftover fried chicken. Because I'm the man. Why? Because I did not lose my appetite on that, those gloriously good biscuits. So you're saying to yourself, what is the point? Do we get to the point? Is it time for lunch? It's time, right? What's the point? Well, here's the point. We all have a love appetite. And if we choose to love things of this world, we will lose our appetite for the things of God. Let me ask you, what is your appetite for God today? And that's probably not a question that you could answer, but that someone around you could answer. It'd be interesting to know what your spouse, what your children, what your parents, what your friends would say about your love appetite for God. Would they say they have a white-hot love for God? Would they say this is a person who shows a deep passion and pursuit of God and His love? Is that what would be said of you? If not, what's probably happening is you are eating, you are loving things of this world, and they won't satisfy 
and they will not only they will not only take away your capacity to love God, it, it will also cause you a, 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 an incapacity to love all the others in which you were meant to be loved. Because see, here's what's amazing about the love of God. It's not like all the things of the world. See, those things, you love them, all they do is take. But see, when you love God and you love other people the way God has loved you, it gives you a greater appetite for love. It gives, gives you a greater capacity to love. And this is God's will. God's will is that we love. God's will is that we love God by grace through faith in Jesus. Write it down and don't forget that. And don't miss that last part. That we love, that we love God, but notice... By grace through faith in Jesus. See, without grace through faith in Jesus, we cannot love God as He commands us to. See, if we just love God in and of ourselves, we in and of ourselves are broken. We have broken hearts. We have broken lives because of sin. And God demands that we love Him completely and wholly. And we cannot do that without God's love. And the only way we can truly love God the way He commands is being transformed by His love. Well, how does He command it? Let's make sure we understand how big this is. This is Mark chapter 12, verse 30. And you shall love the Lord your God. Look at this. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. You cannot do that as a broken person separated from God by sin. The only way you can love God the way He demands to be loved is by grace through faith in Christ alone. By grace, God forgiving you of all of your son. sin. By grace, by God giving you His righteousness and making you whole. It is only when you have received God's love that you can love God in return. We're going to talk about this in a couple of months. We're going to talk about the fact that why do we love God? Because He first loved us. And until you have received His love and His forgiveness and grace through faith, you can never love God rightly. But if you receive His grace, if you receive His forgiveness and His hope, this love becomes your hope, now you have a hope that will, that will stand no matter what circumstance you're in. It will save. You have a hope that will last for all of eternity because God is eternal. You have a hope that will bring glory to the one who is worthy of glory, which is God Himself. God's will is that you love God by grace through faith in Jesus. And also, secondly, write it down. That you love people by grace through faith in Jesus. And know that you can never love people the way God expects you and demands you and gives life to you unless you love them by grace through faith in Jesus. You say, why not? Here's the deal. If you do not have the saving love of God in your life, the only way you can love people is when they're lovable. And so when they cease to be lovable, and sooner or later we all do, love will cease. And that's why there's infidelity and divorce. That's why there's so much chaos and conflict in relationships. The problem is we are not loving others. We're not loving our spouse. We're not loving our children. We're not loving our friends. We're not loving our parents by grace through faith in Christ alone. We're trying to love people with our capacity to love, and our capacity to love is broken. And therefore, we will only love people so long as they are lovable. And when they cease to be lovable, we will walk away and it will tear up marriages, it will tear up families, and that's exactly what is happening in our world today. God's will is that we love Him, and in loving Him, gain an appetite and a capacity for a love that goes beyond what we can do. And that love will not only bring us salvation, but glory to Him, and it will last for all eternity, and will enable us to love the very people that God commands us to love. And that's where we get real hope. A sturdy hope, and a living hope, and eternal hope. It is only by grace through faith in Christ alone. It is only that way that we can love God and love people. You've got to be aware there is a false hope. 
This false hope is, is revealed in this scripture. The love of the world gives a false hope. False hope, all that is in the world, keeps us from pursuing God's will. Let me give you three of them quickly. Notice first it says, it talks about the flesh. Hope and the desire to the flesh is a false hope. It says in verse 16, for all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh. Now, God made us to desire good things. This word, desire here, epithumia, I want to make sure we understand what we're talking about here, okay? It's not just any desire. Desire used here twice is epithumia. It means to desire greatly is a strong desire, longing, or lust. It is used most frequently in a bad sense. It is an irregular or ordinate desire, appetite, and lust. What's happening? What happens here to any desire that is pursued outside of a love of God and a love of people by grace through faith in Christ alone is that a good desire becomes an evil desire. If you desire physical intimacy outside of the love of God and a love of people, it will become an evil desire. If you desire food, if you desire a job, if you desire children, if you desire friends and, 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 and all kinds of, uh, of the good things that life gives, but if you desire those outside of a love of God, outside the salvation of Jesus Christ, outside of the love that He gives, it will always become a bad desire. It will become a lust. It will become an inordinate thing, and it will ultimately lead Sin is always, always bad. There are times, and for some of you right now, this is one of those times when you are far away from God and His love, and so sin seems best. Sin is never best. Sin is always worse. You've heard me say this before, and make sure we get it again. What is sin? What does it do? What does it cost? What's, what's, the, what's the situation? Sin always takes you further than you intended to go. It gives you less than it promised, and it costs you more than you wanted to pay. Some of you who are far from God, you're not living for the love of God. You need to understand, this sin that you're living in will take you further than you intended to go. See, some of you right now, you think, I've got this sin under control. No, you don't. You're, you're deceived. You're in a dating relationship. You're not dating to the glory of God. You think, okay, yeah, maybe we're getting a little too physical, but we've got it under control. No, you don't. Sooner or later, you're going to go further than you intended to go. Some of you tend to tell lies. You're liars. And you want to keep things from people so that you can save face. You think you've got it under control. No, you don't. Sooner or later, it's going to go further than you intended to go. Because every lie you tell, you've got to tell another one to keep it under wraps. Some of you have stolen, maybe on your taxes, maybe from your boss, maybe from your company, uh, maybe from God. You think, I got this, I can control what's happening here? No, you can't. Sooner or later, it takes you further than you intended to go. Some of you are on the internet, you know what you're doing is wrong, but you think, I've got it under control. No, you don't. Sooner or later, you're going to go further than you intended to go. And here's what you need to understand. Here's what's so sad and so sick about it, is it gives you less than it promised. No sooner have you told that lie, sold that thing, enjoyed that pleasure, that it's used up and you need more. It never gives and continues to give. It only gives enough to get you to keep coming back for more, because that's what sin does. It never satisfies. It only tempts. It's only a fake copy of the real thing, and it will never meet your needs. Sin, it always takes you further than you intended to go. It gives you less than it promised. And look, it costs you more than you wanted to pay. 
And here's what some of you are thinking right now that are choosing sin. And here's what you're doing. You're choosing sin, and you're saying to yourself, I will pay the penalty of the guilt I feel. I will deal with isolation from other people. I can't be transparent because of my sin. I have other issues going on. I cannot be who I really am. I have to cover up my sin. And you think, I'll pay that penalty. But here's what you need to know. You're deceived. The penalty is going to be worse than you can possibly imagine. The payment, and here's what you need to know. I've been doing pastoral ministry over 22 years. Here's what I've seen in every circumstance. The cost of your sin always falls on the people who love you the most. The cost will be your wife, your husband, your children, your parents, your friends, and the pain that they will have to go through because of your sin. Sin always takes you further than you intended to go. It always gives less than it promised. And it always costs you more than you wanted to pay. Hope in the desires of the flesh is a false hope. Quickly. Hope in the desires of the eyes is a false hope. It says, for all that is in the world, the desires of the eyes. Some say the eyes are the windows to the soul. I would say that's true as so long as you understand it's what you're looking out at, not looking into. What are you looking for? Answer the question. Think about it in your own heart. What are you looking for to satisfy your life? If it is not Jesus Christ, I'm going to tell you what you're looking for will not satisfy. And if it's not Jesus Christ, it will fall in one of these four areas. Other people's approval, stuff you can own, a position that gives you a sense of power, or a person or a thing that will give you pleasure. If it's not Jesus, you're pursuing one of those four. And here's what I want you to know. That desires of that, those of your eyes will never satisfy the longing of your soul. Because they will not give you salvation in any circumstance. Because the moment the power is gone, the moment the applause is gone, the moment the pleasure is over, the moment the possession breaks or is broken or is stolen or is lost, you're left with no hope. And that leaves you in death, a living death, darkness, pain, suffering, hell. The desires of the eyes, they will not satisfy. Third, hope in the pride of life is a false hope. See, what happens, once you pursue the things of the world, you desire them, you lust after them, you pursue them with your eyes, you have a vision for them, and and then you get them, and then you become prideful in these things. And so here's where some of you are today, and if this is you, this is just God being gracious to you to give you a heads up. If your pride is in what you possess, if your pride is in your pleasure, if your pride is in your popularity, if your pride is in your sense of power, you are lost. Power, popularity, pleasure, possessions cannot save you, and they won't. As a matter of fact, the Scripture says they will keep you from loving God, and they will ultimately destroy you. God's will is not for you to live hopeless. God's will is not for you to to live in darkness, a lifeless death, a life of pain, a life eternal without hope, which is hell. That is not God's will. God's will is that you receive His love, that you know His love, that you give His love to Him and to others. That is God's will for your life. And when God's will for your life is His love, then you can be saved in any circumstance. That hope and that joy and that peace will be yours no matter what. It will last for all of eternity, and it will lead you to bring glory to God, the one who is worthy of it. So write it down. Whoever does the will of God enjoys a sturdy hope. 
scripture, the verse ends here, verse 17. And don't miss this. I mean, it's so blatant here. Don't miss this. And the world is passing away along with its desires. Everything else will fail. Everything. Except Christ alone. He alone will save you in any circumstance. He alone will save you for all eternity. He alone will be the one who who brings glory to Himself that you glorify, which gives you peace and strength forever and ever. Only He can satisfy the longing of your soul. So let me ask you this. Why? Why? Why would you pursue anything else? Why would you waste your life on any other pursuit? And some of you are. You think that that sin is going to make you happy. It's going to destroy you. You need to be saved. Today you need to come and get on your knees, broken before God, and say, God, forgive me. I receive your love, and I will give your love. I will love you above all else, and I will love others the very way you've loved me. That is God's will. And when you have God's will, you have God's hope. And that hope is alive, and it will never fail you. Some of you who claim to have this hope that you're living in sin, stop deceiving yourself. Come and get on your knees and repent and then I know some of you today as, as I'm talking you're thinking about a friend at work a friend at school you're thinking about a family member you're thinking about someone you know whose marriage is dead it's being ruined his family's falling apart someone whose life has gone way off the tracks I pray for them today come and get on your knees on their behalf and ask God to do a miracle ask God to do a miracle for them today let's stand together to Father God, I think I got everybody hungry. But Lord God, I also know that there is a longing in every one of our souls to have what you alone can give, which is hope. A hope that does not disappoint, a hope that lives eternally. And I know there's some today who need to come and get on their knees and receive this hope, receive your love, receive your forgiveness. Some who need to come today who claim to be yours, but who have gotten sidetracked and say, I'm wrong, God. I repent. I'm sorry. I'm done. I'm coming back. I'm going to love you. I'm going to live for your love. And then, God, there's some who need to come on behalf of another and lift their name to you and ask you to do a miracle. And I pray you'll do it. God, do what is asked of you right now on knees that are humble before you. In Jesus' name.